Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. With The Bachelor wrapping up, be sure to check out The Bachelor Party Podcast with Juliet Littman for all your news and coverage, as well as interviews with former contestants, producers, and personalities from Bachelor Nation. Also, with opening day right around the corner, the MLB Show podcast is back, covering Bryce Harper and Manny Machado's recent signings and much more. You can subscribe to both on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow our NFL team for full coverage of the NFL Combine and pre-draft analysis on TheRinger.com. All right, all right, all right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, my culinary comrades. We've done it. We're back. Welcome to another episode, delicious episode, if I may, of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. I am, as always, your hungry host, Joe House. My taste buds, what a fun show today. It is a rare occasion that we have our own in-house ringer food correspondents out and about all over, not just this great country of ours, but traveling the world. We have John Gonzalez, who was in Greece recently interviewing Rick Pitino, and he ate for a solid week in Greece, both in restaurants, and he got some home cooking. And I know you're going to enjoy hearing about that. And then Robert Mays, our NFL expert, down at the, uh, or down, I shouldn't say down, in Indianapolis is in the northern part of, of these United States. He was in the Indianapolis covering the NFL Combine, along with Danny Kelly, and he, he had some uh, outstanding eating experience in Indianapolis. He's talked to us about the best thing that he ate this week. Uh, let's get in that belly with the homie John Gonzalez. You know, my taste buds, we only have a few rules here at House of Carbs. One of those rules is when our own in-house hungry homies go abroad, go visit exotic and exciting places outside of these United States. We want to check in with those culinary comrades of ours and get some feedback on, on their experience. Now, the gentleman we have lined up here, he's a staff writer at The Ringer. He's the host of The Ringer NBA podcast, Heat Check, on which he often tries to bait me into saying bad things about the Washington Wizards. <laughs> and it doesn't take much. He just published last week, honestly, his I'm going to call it his magnum opus. I mean, he may argue with me, and I, that's fine. The story was the exile of Rick Patino. John Gonzalez, welcome to House of... <laughs> House, that was uh, too kind of you. And the first ever heat check uh, House of Carbs crossover. You've been on my pod many times. I'm delighted, uh, honored to be on yours. Well, we we've compared notes. You're you're originally from uh, Philadelphia, or spent enough time in Philadelphia to be well versed in the Philly cuisine. So we've done some comparing of notes, but that's all been. Behind the scenes, and I'm very happy to report to all of our taste buds out there. You and I have actually dined together. We had a great meal here in Washington, D.C. at the Unconventional Diner, where I did my best to order the entire menu, and you were very indulgent. You sat along with me and and, and dabbled. You know, tried a few things along the way there. I, it was delightful. That was uh, breaking bread with you was 
uh, a seminal experience I've, I've heard tell of you eating before. I had never witnessed it in person. And uh, you, you lived up to your reputation, buddy. Like, that, was, that was quite a feast we had. Well, I, I, can, I can confess I was hungry that night. I was definitely hungry that <laughs> evening. So speaking of hungry, let's um, talk a little bit about this story. So you chased down Rick Pitino. You had to go halfway across the world to find him. He happens to be living in and coaching in Greece. And I'm going to let you sort of take it from there. Yeah, it worked out uh, pretty well for me in, in that Greece is a place that's uh, sort of near and dear to my heart in that I've been there several times with a friend of mine uh, who I affectionately call Dave the Greek. He appears in the story. Yeah, I love Dave the Greek. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you would love him, actually, uh, for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is he also uh, likes to eat. And we did quite a bit of it. And the great part about it was, you know, we have friends over there, but he also has family over there. So in addition to eating at uh, some of Athens' finest restaurants, we also got quite a few home-cooked meals from Dave's family. So it was it was the best of both worlds. Oh, I didn't know. That's a, that's a bonus feature to this. So not only are we going to be able to cover some of the meals you had um, at various of the, the, you know, legendary Greek spots, but you also had some home-cooked food that we'll get to uh, get a little, a little flavor for um, here, here on our, our conversation. Now, uh, the point of your story was to spend some time with Rick Pitino and just sort of, you know, uh, document the curious, uh, tale that, that led to him, uh, coaching in, in Greece, but the story was so much more than that. Um, talk a little bit about, well, in the first place, I, I, I need to pass along kudos and congratulations because, uh, am I right that you were able to go to Greece in the middle of January or was it early February? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, early to mid-February. I was over there for about a week. Yeah, so well done, right? Leaving the United States when it's dead winter <laughs> here, even though L.A. is, you know, still, you know, in the 50s and 60s and, and heading over to Greece. How how was the weather in Greece when you arrived? Similar to L.A., it was, uh, you know, like high 50s, low 60s, uh, kind of gray and overcast, but otherwise delightful. Uh, it was a, I'd never been to Greece in winter. Most of the time I've been over there was, uh, in the summer when it's always warm and delightful. So it was a little bit different, but, uh, yeah, it worked out great. It worked out great because, you know, Rick's over there and, uh, I got the sense that, you know, he's constantly surrounded by people and he's going out and, uh, he likes to go out and have dinner and, and drinks. And we did that with him quite a bit. Uh, but despite the fact that he's constantly surrounded by people, I got the sense that he's, you know, a little lonely and, he opened up about all that, and we broke bread and talked about everything. So let, let's begin with your uh, culinary experience. It, I, from from the timeline implied by the story, the first time you sat down and ate with Rick was at a restaurant called Agora. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And 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 for the all our taste buds out there, give a description of what Agora is all about. So I would say. Like we, in terms of like the the kinds of food we ate, I love Greek food, and generally when I travel abroad, I want to eat as you know, like the locals eat. Uh, it doesn't need to be fancy or fussy. I just want to you know get into whatever local cuisine uh, is common. So I'm a big Greek taverna fan. Um, you know, like the traditional Greek tavernas. This was more of a high end restaurant. Uh, he had gnocchi. He really likes gnocchi. 
Uh, I had uh, a delightful whole fish with some with some greens. I forgot mm. what Dave had. It might have been pasta. Uh, but it was like a higher-end restaurant. So it would have been, you could find this kind of restaurant pretty much in any country, anywhere. Like, uh, you know, like a sort of cosmopolitan menu. Uh, with the gamut from fish. Yeah. That, that Mediterranean yeah, yeah. flavor, that Mediterranean flair. Yeah, a little less so that than like across the board, you got the spectrum of, you know, pasta, uh, fish, meat, you know, like you can pretty much find anything. Like there, are, there aren't a ton of restaurants. Like if you went to a traditional Greek restaurant, where you're going to find gnocchi on the menu. Uh, but he likes gnocchi and uh, we had gnocchi at, at multiple meals. And it was, yeah. it was good. I mean, like we had some, we had some, uh, some class, classic Greek dishes throughout uh, our time there. But that first lunch was sort of just like something that you could find in, in a lot of places. Yeah. H- hard to believe that Rick Patino loves gnocchi uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. put, put himself to the task of finding where he could get, you know, a, a, a well-delivered version of that in Greece. Um, so, so talk a little bit about, uh, it seems like from, from the way the story goes down, you shared quite a few meals with Rick and, you know, it was kind of over the breaking of bread that you got the real feel for, um, how he's living his life there right now and kind of where his head is at. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how that, that sort of the, the, the natural comfort that comes from sitting at a table with somebody having a meal and letting them sort of break down whatever um, barriers they might uh, naturally have up, let their guard down a little bit because you, I can attest, are a good dinner companion, Gonzo. Um, talk a little <laughs> bit about those, those chats with, with, uh, with coach and, and uh, you know, how those, the, the, the sort of general sense of that, the, the vibe of those meals. Yeah. And back at you, you're an excellent dinner companion as well, but you're right. I think like when you sit down to dinner with somebody, it's a, it like relaxes you a little bit, uh, or lunch even. I mean, that first lunch that we had, uh, when you, you know, like in, as an icebreaker was great. Um, he opened up immediately. He's a really easy person to talk to. And I think that there is, um, a component that like puts everybody at ease when you've got some food in front of you. Uh, we didn't have any wine at lunch, but certainly there was plenty of wine as, uh, the week continued. Like our final dinner actually was, Five people. It was me and Dave the Greek, who uh, Patino at the end was calling Dave the Fixer. It was wonderful. Nice, uh, nice. And Patino, and Patino yeah. And uh, then two guys from Showtime came along with us. They're shooting a documentary about him. So all of us sat down. We had a wonderful dinner. It was five hours. There was, I lost track of how much wine we drank. There was more gnocchi. There was veal. There was uh, octopus. I'm a big octopus fan, especially when I'm in Greece. There was zucchini fritters, all kinds of stuff. I mean, and and I think like as you're sitting down over food and wine and just having conversation, it becomes less about like I think when I'm interviewing somebody at an arena or in an office setting or you know wh- wherever, and it's not like that. It's a little bit more structured, a little bit more formal, and it feels more like we're both at our job as opposed to when you're just sitting down to dinner with somebody and you're having a conversation. And now it's now we're just people and what's going on in your life. That's right. Uh, talk a little bit about the Greek wine. I'm, I'm uh, intrigued by that. Were you guys drinking white? Was there white and red? There was white and red. Uh, we started off because there was some fish to start. There was uh, 
like a, it was a version of like a, a ceviche to start. So there was a little mm. bit of whites they brought out for us. And then we switched because there was veal and gnocchi. So there was a lot of red. Um, and it was good. It, Greek wine is excellent. I mean, I think like, I don't, to be honest with you, Hal, I don't discriminate when it comes to food or wine. Right. Put it in front of me and I'm going to consume it. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm there with you. Now, did you guys stick, uh, exclusively to Greek uh, wine, or, or or did you drink wine from other uh, regions uh, there in Europe? No, it was mostly. I mean, I can't. I'm, I can't think of a night where we didn't drink Greek wine. Uh, and again, this goes back to my like my general default position is when I'm in your country, show me what you got. Like, yeah, I, you know, I, I can I can drink Italian wine when I'm in Italy, or I can get it at the store here in Los Angeles. If I'm in Greece, I want to eat everything local. And there's so many things in Greece that, you know, like even, you know, if you're having feta here in America, it's great. It's wonderful. It's completely different and better in Greece for a lot of different reasons. Like pistachios, uh, my buddy David the Greek has been trafficking back. He's basically a pistachio mule. He brings them back multiple kilos of pistachios from Greece because they're unlike the pistachios that you get in America. They're, They're wholly different. I mean, they're the same not but the taste and the look and the texture is completely different uh and i would say superior so um you know anytime i can get anything that's like greek is better yeah so he really is dave the fixer he's dave the pistachio fixer he's the house we made a pilgrimage on our last day before going to the to the airport because for years he had just been putting greek pistachios in front of me uh, he brings a, an extra suitcase so he can fill his suitcase with pistachios that they what? vacuum pack for him. Yes, they vacuum pack these pistachios for him to make it a smaller uh, area in his suitcase. And so we made a pilgrimage to his pistachio peddler where I also got vacuum packed kilos of pistachios and brought them back to L.A. Kilos, he says. Now, do you have to declare those on your customs form? I, I don't know if you're supposed to or not. They were sealed. I did get pulled aside in security in Athens <laughs> on the way out. And uh-huh. they were kind of like puzzling over them, like trying to figure them out. And I was yeah. like, oh, those are, you know, pistachios. <laughs> what are you doing you with guys. the nuts, yeah, buddy? Like, That's exactly right. <laughs> um, but, but clearly Dave, uh, in, in his own inimitable style, he's, he's successfully, uh, you know, transmitted these pistachios his own self between the United States and, and Greece some number of, of times. I, I feel like we should probably just leave it at that. I don't want to get Dave in, in any trouble, um, but I am fascinated. <laughs> you know, you, you've mentioned the feta, you mentioned the pistachios. I know that you had lots of like meals in restaurants and you had some home cooked meals as well. Were you able to experience what I'll sort of characterize generally as just a sort of all encompassing descriptor um, any Greek street food? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, there was, um, you know, gyros and, uh, souvlaki and, you know, any kind of like, uh, meats on sticks you can get pretty, pretty easily. But I, I think like the Greek taverna experience for me is, is seminal. And, and the thing that I like and enjoy the most about going over to Greece, because you're going to get any range of, of foods. And the best part about being in Greece with Dave the Greek is uh, he's also my you know personal order. I just sit down and he basically plays the role that, that you played where, hey, I'm going to order a bunch of stuff and let's eat it together. And great. And he's, he's fluent in Greek. 
and he's talking to the waiter about what's good. And now all of a sudden we've got, for example, like I had never had shrimp saganaki, which is a, a shrimp in a tomato based sauce with mm. feta in it. And it was mm. just, you know, you're dipping the bread in it and you're yeah. having zucchini fritters on the side. And now there are some smelts over here and there's some octopus and it's just, you go and then like of course basically with everything you're getting you're getting french fries like they basically throw french fries on everything so, oh i uh, love it i love it, it. it this is a better. yeah 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 this is this is my kind of eating now i want to hear about this home uh cooking experience because uh i feel like you had this rare opportunity um to experience you know to go into uh somebody's home here and get like an authentic meal that you wouldn't you know any of us traveling We'd have, we'd be hard pressed to to like sit in somebody's dining room and and get the meal that they're sort of you know preparing based on ingredients that they've gone to the market and purchased. Uh, describe for me uh, that experience a little bit. It was incredible. I mean, like if we're talking about the best meals that I had, we had we didn't have a bad meal the entire time we were at their house, but hands down, the best meals we had were at Dave's mom's house. Dave's mom lives not far from where Patino lives, just outside of Athens. And uh, we went over there and we had lunch one day and she made a whole fish with some fresh vegetables and uh, bread. And that was delightful. How how did she prepare? How did she prepare the whole fish? The whole fish was grilled. Grilled. uh, Okay. Super simple. She, yeah, she, uh, she deboned it for me because I am uh, incapable of doing that myself. (laughs) (laughs) She filleted for me. It was wonderful. But the best meal we ate was, the last day we were there, we had some time to kill. We didn't fly out of Athens until like 5.30 local time. So we went over there early and we hung around with her, with the family. Dave's mom lives out there, his grandmother, his aunts and uncles, his cousins. Uh, they're all there and they all live across the street from each other. So they have like this little area. It's, it's wonderful. But Dave's mom made for us pastizio. Have you had that? It's like Greek. Oh, of course. Pastizio. Of course. Of course. I love the pastizio. So we had pastizio. It's like, but it's a little bit different. It doesn't have like a tomato base. It's uh, a bechamel and uh, yeah, there's a lot sure. of cheese. There's ground beef and, you know, uh, they made it with sort of like a rigatoni style pasta and it was yeah, absolutely killer. I don't want any of our Greek homies to get mad at me, but my brain processes pasitio as, as, as a, as Greek lasagna. I don't want anybody, don't get mad at me for, for doing that. I'm just telling you how I, how I process the pasitio. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's how they that's how they described it to me because I've eaten Dave's mom's cooking before. Uh, she's She has dual citizenship and, and used to live in Philly for a while and then had moved back to Greece, so she's a killer cook, and I was, like, super excited, and she said, I'm going to make pastizio. I had never had it. It exceeded expectations in every possible way. There were, uh, there was, there was, uh, roasted vegetables to go with it. She had eggplant and peppers and salad and there was bread. And then Dave's mom's boyfriend, Dimitri, who we had had many meals with, he orders like you house where we went out to dinner one night and he ordered so many things on the menu. We were at a table for four. It was Dave's mom, uh, Ruli and Dimitri and me and Dave. And we had ordered so much food on the table. It could have, the table could have fit six humans, but we had so much food on the table that the waiter had to pull up a chair to put more plates on it because we had run out of room on the table. So that's now that, that's my eat. kind of order. They, you're absolutely right. That he, is my kind of order. He he killed it. So he said, oh, I'm going to bring out, do we want to have some, some feta? And I said, of course, Dimitri, let's bring out the feta. I expected that he was going to bring the fresh feta that you know we are used to 
eating like on a Greek salad in Greece, or you can mm-hmm. find approximations of it. It's not quite as good in, in America. But he brought out something I'd never had before. It was like a creamy feta, and it had oh. it had the consistency. It was almost like a brie consistency. I'd never had it before, and it was unbelievable, like a soft feta. It was un, it was unreal. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, I want to hear the very best. You have to, you've, you've mentioned many, you've given a lot of superlatives out here uh, to many of the things you experience. I want the single best food you put in your mouth on this trip when we come back. All right, my parched pals, quick word from our friends at Bud Light. Did you know not all alcohol products are required to list their ingredients? That was news to me. I did not know that. Bud Light is changing the game. They believe that we deserve to know our beer's ingredients. So they're putting an ingredients label right on the packaging. Bud Light, brewed with hops, barley, water, and rice. No corn syrup, no preservatives, and no artificial flavors. Parch Pals, find out what ingredients are in your beer. Bud Light, enjoy responsibly AB Bud Light Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. My friends, today's show also brought to us by our favorite hotelier, Hotel Tonight. The, this winter is a great time to check out Hotel Tonight. Whether you want to take a spontaneous ski trip or escape to a warm beach, that's my vibe. I need a warm beach. Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book a room with one of their last-minute deals. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked, and that's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible rates for teaming up with awesome hotels to help them sell those empty rooms, and they're passing the savings along to you and to me. These are not last resort type of joints. Hotel Tonight is working with cool, top-rated hotels that you actually want to stay at. Unlike other travel companies, you don't have to scroll through endless lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at great hotels along with short profiles. They have pictures, the info that you need. And even though the name is Hotel Tonight, not just for last-minute bookings, you can plan in advance. Play things by ear if you want, or go ahead and and book a hotel tonight in advance. You join their HT Perks program. The more you book, the better the deals get. To start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. All right, Gonzo, we're back. I I put you to the test here. I want to hear the single best item of food that went in your mouth on on your week-long trip to Greece. All right. So there were many things that I had that I really enjoyed. There was a delightful octopus. I'm a sucker for octopus. Uh, The zucchini fritters that were all over. Uh, We had had quite a bit of of those. It's called uh, kalokitia. I might have butchered that in in Greece. Kalokitia. Dave the Greek's going to be I, mad I, I at you. Dave the Greek's going to be mad at me. I I I know maybe like fifteen or twenty Greek words, uh, <laughs> and I have to like stumble over them. But I would be remiss if I didn't say it was Dave's mom Pasticcio. It was incredible. Wow. And on top of it, she made one that was half the size of the table that we were eating on. She put a piece in front of me because she yelled at me. She said it was too skinny, uh, per usual. She yelled at me. She treats me like one of her children, where she's constantly yelling at me and feeding me. Uh, she gave me a piece that was like a, roughly the size of a hubcap before I got on the plane. And I ate it all, thought I was going to die. Then she bundled up extra for us. And she bundled up extra for the Showtime guys. 
who were flying back coincidentally on our same plane. So uh, on the plane, we ate more pastizio, as did the Showtime guys, and it, it couldn't have been better. It was really, she outdid herself. That's a, just incredible. I mean, the, the Greek generosity is is legendary, and, you know, mama's in Greek. Now, the thing that I'm I'm kind of curious about, when I think of all the people in my life that I know that are of, of Greek descent, I, they're not like huge people. There are, they're, they're healthy eaters and I have some healthy eating, uh, Greek friends along the way here, but by and large, the image of, um, you know, sort of the Greek folks that I have from growing up is, you know, kind of this Mediterranean, uh, appearance where, you know, they're not, they're, they're like normally sized human beings in, in your experience over there. is, Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that the Mediterranean um, ethos is probably right most of the time, right? Like, uh, like I said, I've been there in the summer. There's a lot of fish and vegetables, which I love, um, and you know, relatively healthy, all things considered, right? Like you're eating uh, a lot of vegetables with the Greek salad, and there's olive oil and there's bread to dip, but mostly it's fish and vegetables, and and that's probably right. In the winter but, at Dave's yeah. mom's house, it was, yeah. you're going to eat this giant pasticcio, and you're going to like it, and I did. But it, it was like a, a much heavier meal than I think I'm generally accustomed to eating when I'm in Greece. Well, but, sure. And and uh, how big a, a dude is Dave the Greek? Uh, roughly my size. Uh, we're, you know, he's maybe a little bit shorter, but about the same weight, like an average-sized American human being. So when, when the Greek mamas get going wintertime with these massive portions and you describe going to a restaurant and, you know, needing a chair for all the extra plates, where's all that food going? I think it was like special circumstances. The problem was, the problem was that, uh, and it's not a problem, it's a happy problem to have. Like in addition to having all of Dave's family there and they all want to catch up and they all want to eat and they all want to have a good time. We also have friends there. Like one of our friends, Jimmy, uh, he lives in Thessaloniki, which is in northern Greece. And yeah. on the day before we flew out, when we had that final dinner with Pacino on Valentine's Day with five bottles of wine or however many bottles, we were out until like 2 a.m. and it was a five-hour dinner. Before we had that dinner house with uh, Rick Pacino, Jimmy came down to Athens, and we hadn't seen him in about a year. So he, he knew that we had to go out to this dinner, but he goes, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Let's go out. We'll just have like a couple of plates. This was at six o'clock. The dinner we're supposed to go to Patino with is at nine. Jimmy yeah. ordered like 10 plates. So we ended up having <laughs> two consecutive dinners back to back from six uh, at night until two in the morning. And it was, I mean, it was delightful. It was wonderful, but it was, it really, it really put us to the test. Yeah. So uh, we don't call him Jimmy the Greek, right? Or do we call him Jimmy the Greek? <laughs> Sorry, no, we that's, just call him Jimmy. Dave is Dave Greek, but he could be Jimmy the Greek. That's an old. That's an old guy joke. That's an old. That's, that's yeah, for yeah, people of a certain <laughs> age. Um, uh, well, the th- thing that that leapt off the page at me from the story, and we'll, we'll we'll wrap up with this, is like that that cultural element that you just described, which is the five hour meal that you had with Patino, the late seating, uh, and 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 I w- I'm interested in just like that um, your experience as as a you know, um, U S consumer of, of the foods and the kind of the rhythm of, of U S restaurant eating. It seems like nine o'clock is like the early, uh, dinner at, 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 in Greece. Is that right? Super early. Like I would say 
of all the time, that was my third time to Greece. Of all the times I've ever been to Greece, that was the earliest I had ever started a dinner was at nine o'clock on that final night. And we stayed until 2 a.m. Every other dinner that I've eaten in Greece, including this trip that I was there, I don't think I ate a dinner before like 11, maybe. What um, what time is lunch time, then? Like, I mean, late. I mean, like, you know, you're waking up late. So, so most of the time when I've been in Greece, you, you end up staying out really late. Um, okay. Especially like if you're on in the islands, like uh, Dave's friends, our friends tend to go to Mykonos, which is one of the, the many islands in Greece. They have yes. houses there. We go and visit. And, and most of the time, you know, you're taking a nap at 8 p.m. and you're going out at midnight and you're out until maybe four, five, six o'clock. And somewhere along the way, you're stopping to get a, you know, an early a.m., late night euro. Then you're going to bed. You're waking up at noon. You know, you hit the beach, maybe a little breakfast. And then, so the hours are just completely reversed. So, yeah, 9, 9 p.m. seating for dinner was by far the earliest I'd ever eaten in Greece. Yeah, I, I, I would be 400 pounds if I lived in Greece. There's no way that I, <laughs> I could, you know, keep myself because I'm, I'm like you. I love all those flavors. I love meat on a stick. The pistachios are otherworldly. The pastizio, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just too much. And that, 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 uh, the, the time clock, um, would, w- would kill me. But, uh, I, I love, um, the documenting of the experience. The story is incredible. It's the exile of Rick Patino. You can get it right this second on the ringer.com. John Gonzalez, thanks for coming on, my dude. My man, I've got some Greek pistachios put aside for you. Oh, my hungry homie. I love it. Thank you so much. I can't wait to eat them. All right, brother. All right. Talk to you. All right, my hungry homies. My thanks to John Gonzalez. I hope that all of you are Jones of Prison Greek food. I know that I am. I need to go find some delicious pastizio. We have Robert Mays coming up to tell us the best thing he ate. This week in Indianapolis, Indiana, before we get to Maisie, how about a word from our friends at Carnival Cruise Line? When choosing a vacation spot, my taste buds, you know this about me. I'm always going where the best food is. So I got really excited when I found out about all of the different cuisines on a Carnival cruise. Carnival has over a dozen restaurants with entrees from all over the globe. You can dine at the chef's table, for instance, where you tour the kitchen and watch the master executive chef cook a tasting course and enjoy a fusion of flavors and different types of cuisine with wine pairings. That's awesome, I love that. Or you can try the bonsai tapenaki, an authentic hibachi with entertaining chefs that offer a table side show. The experience begins with a curated selection of traditional tastes followed by the choice of tempting appetizers before your chef expertly prepares the main course, which features, of course, filet mignon, grilled tofu, fish, shrimp, or lobster, or a combination. You can hear him chopping and slapping uh, the utensils in the background right now. If you're looking for a vacation that has a great variety of amazing food, call your travel agent or go to carnival.com to learn more. All right, my taste buds. We have a special guest today for best thing I ate this week. This man is a staff writer for the ringer covering the NFL. He's a co-host of the ringer NFL show, and he is just back 
from an extended visit to Indianapolis, Indiana, covering the NFL Combine. Robert Mays, welcome back to House of Carbs. It's so good to be back, my man. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been too long. We we had you on in the first couple months of the show, and we documented the pizza scene in Chicago. You gave us the lay of the land as a native Chicagoan, a native son, and we uh, ended up with, with I believe, Pequod's was your number one. Did I say it right? Pequod? Pequod? How do I say Pequod's, it? Pequod's, yep. It, it, it Pequod's. definitely is. Pequod's is 100% my number one option in Chicago. Yeah. But we 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 need to talk a little, a little bit about your uh, extended visit uh, to Indianapolis. Now you're covering the combine. You had your running mate uh, Danny Kelly there along with you, and I believe it was Danny's first visit to Indianapolis. Is that right? No, he's been there a lot. It's just that every year we try to make Danny eat something he's never eaten before. And ah. every year it seems like there's still something on that list. It's fun. Danny, I love Danny Kelly very much. The work he has done about the NFL draft is remarkable so far. But Danny yeah. Kelly is a he's a very impressionable food mind. That's what I'll say. Well, this is the reason why I thought it was the case, even though it doesn't really make any sense because he's he's on the NFL beat and he's been doing it for a long time. But I felt like Maybe this was his first visit to Indianapolis because I saw on social media, either, either Twitter or your Instagram, him eating uh, shrimp at St. Elmo's for the first time. Which is crazy because it's not as if he hasn't been to St. Elmo's while the rest of us have been. Last year, we filmed a video where Kevin Clark and I were doing a Q&A while eating the shrimp cocktail. For, yeah. for those that aren't familiar with it, it's just doused in horseradish. That's pretty much what it is. It's cocktail sauce mixed with the biggest collection of horseradish you've ever seen in your entire life. And it's impossible to eat it and not get either completely like your eyes get watery, your sinuses get cleared up. So we thought it'd be hilarious to have a football conversation while doing it. And Danny Kelly filmed us doing this and he still had never had it before. I, I just can't believe it. So I, I am lucky enough to say that I've been to Indianapolis my own self and have been to St. Elmo's have enjoyed the shrimp cocktail. And for me, as a, as a lover of many, many, many foods, I absolutely adore their style of, of cocktail sauce. It is a, absolutely, as you just described, it really clears up the pipes. I mean, you are ready to go tackle some things. If you The, the, the nice thing about it, from my perspective, is if you can you know, tolerate the heat and, you know, uh, get yourself kind of situated after going through that experience, it really does liven up the taste buds for the next round of, of, of good eating at St. Elmo's. And that's always a delicious piece of beef, right? That's my favorite part about it is that it gets you ready. It's the perfect appetizer because one on its own, it's an experience. I always love that. I always love if you're going to have a little bit of an esmouche or whatever before you're about to eat that it really gets you going. It's like, okay, this is something that I'm enjoying, but it's not something that's going to overwhelm what I'm about to eat. So that's my favorite part about it is it's a perfect compliment for whatever hunk of steak you're about to consume. That's right. I, I agree with that. Now, uh, we're not going to put the cart before the horse. Uh, and, and presume that the best thing that you ate last week was the the shrimp cocktail, even though it, it it's a leading contender always, because anytime you get to St. Elmo's and have the shrimp cocktail, it, it could be the best thing you ate last week. But but uh, I'm interested, before we get to the best thing you ate, talk a little bit about your culinary experience in Indianapolis, because uh, I will say as a person that, that's been there 
while it seems from the outside that it could be kind of a one note eating experience, it, it is, doesn't have to be that way. If you're willing to put in a little bit of legwork and a little bit of elbow grease, you can have a pretty diverse eating experience if, if you're into that kind of thing. So let's let's hear a you little bit about your can. own experience. Usually when I go to the Combine, there are three restaurants I have in mind that I absolutely want to hit. And typically, it's two of the three that I normally get to. The first is either St. Elmo's or Harry and Izzy's, which is the sister restaurant that's next door. So you have a yeah. lot of the same stuff. It's not the same menu. It's not necessarily the same ambiance, but you, the options are pretty similar. The other, Then the other two are the Eagle, which is a fried chicken place that's on the northwest oh. side of downtown, or northeast side of downtown, excuse me. It's not a standalone restaurant. They have one in Cincinnati, in Columbus, and I believe in one more spot, maybe Louisville. But it's just fried chicken that they in, brine it in-house. It's excellent. And the list of sides, which, as you know, is part of the best thing that about barbecue and fried chicken places, is yes. just out of this world good. I was sitting there with a few friends, and we were trying to decide what we wanted, and eventually we landed on all of them. Let's just oh. get all of them. Okay. Because they're only like three bucks. And yes. so you're looking at frieds, collard greens, coleslaw, spoon bread, sweet potatoes, mac and cheese, grits, horseradish, mashed potatoes, biscuits. I mean, just the list is so good. And every single one of them is worth it. So the table was just completely covered in food and it went very well. So the interesting thing, what you just described in terms of like flavor profiles, you're listing those off. All of those things have kind of an identity that, that goes with belongs to the South. But I also think of all of those things as belonging to the Midwest. So it doesn't feel out of order at all that you're sitting in a Midwest town and having fried chicken and all of those, you know, seven or eight different sides with kind of, you know, a, a, a Southern uh, identity. Of, of course, that all of that uh, flavorful, there's, there's a lot of salty items in there. There's fried things going on in there. There's creaminess with the mac and cheese, but that's what you want with the fried chicken, right? It's my favorite thing is just to kind of get every single little bit of it. You got the tartness with the coleslaw combined with, you know, just the overall spice. The white cheddar grits had some pickled peppers in there. Oh so my it really God. does hit you from a bunch of different angles. They're some of the best grits I've had. I mean, typically uh, I'm going to reserve that for when I go south and you know, I was in Atlanta and I went to uh, Mary Max, which is an old school soul food restaurant that's just so good. But these yes. were definitely some of the better ones that I've had, and I, I enjoyed them. But yeah, that's my favorite part. I have a question for you, though. When you're going Please. fried chicken, are you a light meat guy or a dark meat guy? I always prefer the dark meat and start with the dark meat. I want um, thighs and legs as the my entree point into uh, um, a fried chicken experience. And I typically will have... I mean, you know how I am. Um, I like kind of six pieces of chicken before I get to white meat, before I'll mess around with the breast. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, and, I, and sometimes it depends on like um, how much I like the, um, the, 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 how it's been prepared sort of fry wise. If I'm really digging uh, the, the, the flavor profile, I'll, I'll even throw down some wings before I get to, to white meat. Cause the white meat, like, um, by the time I'm ready for the white meat, I'm, I'm going to like luxuriate in it a little bit. I'm just going to sort of go slow. The first six or seven or eight pieces are to satiate my, my appetite. 
and I want all of the that that dark meat, that rich flavor that comes from the dark meat first. That's always my favorite. I was having an argument with the people at my table because they I was way too full to get an entire half chicken, so I just got the quarter chicken, and I got the dark meat just because I like it so much more. If I'm getting chicken, I would always prefer like a solid chicken thigh and a nice meaty leg over what I often find to be a much drier breast. That's always how I felt about it. Yeah, I mean, no offense to your friends, but they have terrible taste. <laughs> I'm glad you think I'm in the right here because that's important to me. Yeah, of course you're in the right. Okay, so uh, what else? What else in terms of your experience? We're going to get to the best thing you ate last week, but what else in terms of that Indianapolis experience? So now, along with Harry and Izzy's, they actually just opened a burger place a little bit further down the road. And they use the same beef that they use for the steaks at this burger place. And okay. the kind of the the Cadillac crown jewel burger at this place has St. Elmo's dry-aged beef with applewood smoked bacon, black pepper, uh, Bella Vitano cheese, and black pepper aioli on there. And oh, my God. I t I'm typically not a bacon cheeseburger person. I feel oh. like a really good burger – you don't need to just throw bacon on there. I don't feel like it adds a ton all the time. There are exceptions, okay. like a place like, uh, oh my God, Oh Cheval in Chicago, excuse me, yes. uh, which is a yes. very famed cheeseburger in Chicago. Yeah, I throw bacon on that one because I think the bacon is well made. So I got this. It's called the Prime Degree Burger, and I put the bacon on there. It is the best ba uh, burger I've had in a very long time. It just totally wow. works. The, wow. The applewood with the bacon plus the pepper. I mean, the fact that there's that black pepper aioli on there and you get some pepper cheese, I just feel like there's a spice with the sweetness of the bacon. It was perfect. I'm telling you, you got my attention. That that combination of the uh, pepper, it's pepper jack cheese. It's pepper. It's a, it's like a black pepper cheese. So it's not oh, like, black, okay. you know, jalapenos or habaneros. It's like a black pepper cheese, which I f was oh, very different. And I liked it. Wow. I like that a lot along with the black pepper aioli. Cause I really, um, I'm like a, a, an all poivre kind of fella. I like black pepper. I like black peppercorns with, with meat because I feel like, you know, it helps kind of, uh, ward off the richness of 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 the meat a little bit i like just the sort of the that zing that comes along with it and I, in, in that same respect it is the place that i hold in my heart for bacon on a burger like that it helps with the richness because sometimes a medium rare burger um you know per perfectly cooked that way it can be a little it can get rich after just a, a handful of bites um with the juices and everything else so I, that that's mainly the um, element that that the the role that the the bacon plays for me personally, but man, oh man, what a burger! Okay, so now we have a burger place in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean it's the same kind of level. They're all kind of intertwined. Those three restaurants, and you can just rely on the quality, and that's why I wanted to pop by there. I did it for lunch one day, and I was not disappointed. All right, well let's let's go ahead and and uh, let's do the crown jewel here. The best thing you put in your mouth last week in Indianapolis, Indiana. So this is kind of a departure for me because when I go to a steakhouse like Harry and Aziz or St. Omo's, I've always been a ribeye guy. I just, I like the marbling. I like the fat. I've never been afraid of it. So I'm a typically a ribeye person. And I yes. was having a conversation with Mitchell Schwartz from the Chiefs recently, who's a big grill guy, big steak guy, does a lot of brisket. And I was just talking to him about his favorite cut of meat. And he said that he's a strip guy. He just always has been. It's He just enjoys the profile of it the most. He feels like the ribeye's got a little too much fat on it. So with that in mind, 
Harry and Izzy's has a dry aged 12 ounce New York strip. It's aged 60 days and it's just sitting there staring at me on the menu. And I was like, you know what? This is the, this is the day I'm going to go with Did- this over the ribeye. And I, love it. I cannot even tell you how now disappointed I was. I, it was <laughs> the best steak I've eaten in such a long time. Just every single bite was melt in your mouth. I was just trying to savor it, like cutting off as small pieces as I possibly could every time. Man, it was good. So uh, what temperature do you like uh, for a strip like that? So I'm usually medium rare almost every single time. But yeah. at Harry and Izzy's in St. Omos, they go way on the conservative side when it comes to their temperatures. So if you right. get a medium steak, you have a ton of pink in there. It's almost a little bit too pink for me to go medium rare with them. Yeah, I get it. And, I, and that's I, I feel like um, a, a strip because of the thickness that they tend to be and the natural juice uh, composition for a, for a properly cooked uh, strip, I think it's okay to um, err on the side, you know, to have it like one temperature closer to medium than medium rare. Because I I, I just think like for the thickness of it, you're getting uh, all the pink that you that you need, um, you know, in terms of the the standard medium rare that you would get out of a fillet. Um, just that's just my experience with it. And that, that it's, I typically would lean that way too, when it comes to a thicker steak, but I almost always go medium rare with my ribeye. And I was thrilled. I, I was so happy I did it because I think any pinker and I wouldn't have liked it. And they had a dry rub on there. That was just so good. Nothing fancy. Oh. You know, I'm not talking about any sort of sauce, but just perfectly spiced. I'm assuming there was a little bit of paprika in there, salt, pepper, not overwhelming, but definitely something that helped with the sear and just gave you exactly what you wanted with pretty much every single bite. Well, I'm not sure what my next occasion is to get to Indianapolis. Uh, I don't think uh, there, there's anything going on with the Pacers that 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 is a, a huge attraction for me. But I feel like I need to get there because I want to do some eating. I had a great experience when I went to the Super Bowl back, however many years ago that was. Um, and I, and and there's some there's some updates to the culinary food scene there. That, that I need to experience. I'm going to share with you the best thing that I ate this week, uh, and then I'm going to let you go. I was fortunate enough to attend the DC United home opener. Mays, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm, I might be a soccer guy. I might be turning into a soccer guy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be afraid to tell me that. Well, I mean, it, it, the problem I have is my professional basketball team here in Washington, I believe is going to be irrelevant for the next two years. So I have I have a sports gap to fill and the DC United play in a stadium that just opened last season, mid-season and it's a beautiful facility and it holds just the right number of people. It's like a little north of 20,000 folks and um you know it it's very well uh conceived and configured. You you're right on top of the action. The sounds inside are great and it's a, like a really fun way to experience the football. And on top of that, my little man, who is his his he's having his sports awakening over this last year or so. We went to the season op- I mean to the um stadium opener last year, which was midseason, and he had such a great time. He became uh, a soccer dude, so that means that I'm a soccer dude too. And uh this the season opener here in Washington on on March the third was an abysmal disaster in terms of the weather because I don't know if you know this. The first week of March in Washington is still really the winter. Like it's it's probably oh, 30. I know it. 
Yeah, right, right. As, as, a, as a man in Chicago, the first week in April is still the winter, so I get it. Right. Great point. Exactly. So we had a day where uh, it was like 38 degrees and we had precipitation in the forecast. And by precipitation, I mean it poured rain for seven <laughs> hours straight. Like from the minute we left our house until the minute that we returned, it just poured out of the sky. It would have been so much better if it had been snow. Because they would have been, first of all, cool, and and seeing soccer in the snow would have been unbelievable. But it would have been a lot drier for all of us. Like my my, my kid insisted on sitting uh, out for the entire first half in the pouring rain, and he came inside. Now we had a little bit oh of club God. access. I had to finagle that, of course. Uh, and I I had to go to the store and buy him a whole new outfit because not one single thing that he wore to the game was dry. If they sold shoes, I would have bought him a new pair of shoes uh, to to go along with everything else. But I mentioned the the, the club thing, uh, and and I was uh, fortunate enough to get in there. And I'm I'm a I have a keen eye maze for seeing how you know the food innovation, the food uh, experience inside of stadiums how folks are thinking about innovating and what, you know, the, the palate of um, the American consumer is developing. It is, uh, you know, becoming more sophisticated. And so the stadiums are, are now sort of, you know, they've all caught on and there are great food offerings. Uh, the, the DC United were proud to announce that they just partnered with our, our own homie, uh, Dave Chang and his chicken network, Fuku. Yeah, so there's a Fuku inside there now. Jose Andres, who is a local legend here here in Washington D.C., as well as well as a, a genuine humanitarian over the last couple of years, but he has some food um, options at, at the stadium as well. So you can really do uh, get a, a, a diverse um, uh, sampling inside of of this this club experience. Uh, they the thing that that I was naturally drawn to. Um, because I am who I am is the nacho bar. And of course, God, God, God bless these folks. The nacho bar was well populated with a variety of different, uh, you know, offerings, so mostly different, like sort of accoutrement, your sour cream, your jalapeno, a really good chipotle based, like dark, almost mole flavored salsa. But then oh, they had ne next to it, they had a queso. But God bless them, a giant um, offering of barbacoa, very well-seasoned, very uh, delicious barbacoa. And then, Maisie, an unbelievable buffalo chicken cheese dip. Now, you, you, you know who I am. We, 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 the hungry homies out there know what I'm all about. I created a plate that, that was probably more properly described as a platter um, that was a bottom layer of chips, one quarter of the thing I covered with this chipotle salsa because it was just really a, a surprisingly rich flavor. And then I covered one half of the platter with barbacoa meat and the other half of the platter, you know, I had the buffalo chicken cheese, uh, uh, you know, it was a beautiful, oh creamy, goodness. chunky, and let me tell you something. I'm here to tell you, barbacoa and buffalo chicken cheese dip, they go wonderfully together. They are, it's a marriage made in heaven, have, my friend. I would never have the bravery or the courage to do that. I, I stand in awe of you right now because I love both <laughs> of those things, but it would just never cross my mind to toss those things on the same pile of chips. Well, part of what uh, 
really helped the cause was the consistency of the buffalo chicken cheese dip was such that it was like creamy enough. It wasn't so thick that it was its own gotcha. like standalone thing. And the barbacoa is just strands of delicious barbacoa barbacoa. And so each bite, you know, a couple chips, a little barbacoa base, and then a little bit of buffalo chicken cheese on top of that. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That works. You know, that Tabasco sort of flavor, that buttery Tabasco flavor profile that comes off of a, a buffalo chicken kind of vibe. And then you're, you know, kind of that, that salty, uh, you know, um, again, with like a kind of a, a Chipotle kind of flavor for the, for the meat. I mean, come on. That it was beautiful. I, 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 uh, I was happy to, uh, experiment and have the experiment go well, but I was, I wasn't really worried, Mace. I, so I got a uh, I got a Dutch oven for Christmas from my mother, like a pretty decent one. And yes. now I'm in an era of my life where we're doing a lot of dinner parties and just kind of quiet oh, yeah. entertaining. So I've just been in a in a dip making haven for the past like oh, two yeah. months. I mean, just making spinach and artichoke dip that has twice the amount of artichoke they ask for and about three times as much garlic and just making enough of it for about 25 people, even though only five or six people are coming over. That's pretty much where I exist right now. <laughs> That's a it's a great place. Now I, I highly recommend go find yourself a, bu- a buffalo chicken uh, dip recipe and and give that a try. Oh, I've made it. Oh, I've trust me, I've already been there and back, my man. Of course, I oh, have. Pardon I'm me. almost insulted that you think I haven't. Well, here here's the thing, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pleased to announce that Robert Mays finally joined Instagram <laughs> sometime in the last <laughs> couple months. Here, his handle at Robert Mays fifty three. We're working on getting it just to down to regular old at Robert Mays, and we, we we'll get there eventually. But right now, at Robert Mays fifty three, <laughs> Maisie, I'm a follower. I jumped I jumped on as soon as you were on there. I haven't seen the buffalo chicken dip. I, I have not made it since I joined Instagram. This is still a relatively new development. I only joined like three weeks ago, and I've spent a good chunk of that time in Indianapolis. So trust me, okay. it, it will be around And now that I'm back and settled and making food again. Yeah, I mean, you you have uh, a good eye and the good sense to try and document a lot of your meals. I've enjoyed that from the Twitter, but you know that that's what the point of Instagram is. It's to take pictures trust of food, me. buddy. It's, it's your dog and food. Is, I couldn't do it at the Eagle because it was too dark in the restaurant. I managed to make the steak happen, but I couldn't do it with the fried chicken just because it was too dark in there. I'm trying. I'm it. out here hustling. Don't worry about me. We're going we're gonna to get you a, a, a nice uh, food light. That's what we're going to do. We're going to teach you some of the tricks <laughs> of the trade here, my man. Robert Mays, thank you for coming on uh, House of Carbs. We will have you on again as soon as possible. You got to start putting up some of your, uh, your these delectable items on your Instagram so we can get hungry along with you. We need some belly sourcing. It's going to be happening. Trust You're me. I, I just got back. I'm going to hit the grocery store today, and we'll be making it happen. Boom. Love you, Maisie. Love you too, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right, my taste buds, we've done it. I offered on last week's show to all of you that chimed in with some input on uh, the pod survey that we asked you to participate in. A lot of you got back to us. We're going to hit. We have something nice. I promised it out to you. We're making a list of everybody that took the pod survey, survey, the pod survey, and then got back to us. We're tracking you down. So we're going to ask for an address to send some stuff to you. Be on the lookout for that communication from the ringer.com where we want to uh, get your address so we, we can send you something nice to thank you for, for your hard work and your time 
and filling out the pod survey. We shall be back next week with another House of Carbs, my friends. Until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>